careful to awaken myself, shake myself, you know, to be prepared in these last days. I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to the soon coming of our Lord. Sometimes I just look up at the sky and say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. This is a crazy world we're living in. It's good to see my mama in church today. I see her back there. <laughs> Brother Chad's been preaching on foundation, and so he's asked me to teach a foundational lesson. I love that. There's nothing I love more than going into our roots of our foundation. And by the way, I just want to say, how many of y'all appreciate and love Brother Chad? Isn't he a fantastic guy? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. It's my pastor. <laughs> now, Return Church has got a lot of good things going for it right now, and uh, I'm excited about what the future holds for Return. God's doing things here. He wants to meet with you at this altar. He wants to meet with you in your prayer closet. Jesus wants to reveal himself to you where you can have this outstanding, personal, intimate, one-on-one -on -one relationship with the creator of the world. Amen. And that's an exciting place to live. There's really nothing more important than that in life than our relationship with Jesus. Don't let the cares of life get you thinking it's about the job or your friends or all of the work you have to do or your hobbies. Because if you're not careful, you'll just go spiritually sound asleep. Remember the parable of the virgins? All ten of them were asleep. Then the cry came at midnight and they awakened and half of them had let the oil go out of their lamp. Not on that today, I just, just want to give you an admonition, uh, uh, an admonishment there to stay awake, to stay alive, to shake yourself. If you feel spiritually dead, you shake yourself. Come to the Lord in prayer and wake yourself and uh, get in tune with what Jesus is doing. All right, I want to talk about foundation today. So I, what I want to do is teach an old lesson I learned 30-something years ago. But it blessed me back then. I hope it would be a blessing to you today on how the creation and the tabernacle tie in with one another. And there's seven pieces of furniture in the tabernacle and seven days to the creation. And it's miraculous how God lays this thing out. And what it'll do is take you back to your very roots of blood, fire, and water that we have in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's go on the creation story. My clicker's not working. There we go. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Hebrew, it's Breshit bara Elohim et Hashemayin vaet ha'eretz. And I'm about a second grader when it comes to what I know in Hebrew. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. But that verse is so powerful. And the thing I want to show you in that verse is right in the middle, there's seven words in the first verse of the Bible in Hebrew. Again, fitting with the seven days of creation. But the middle word, it also fits with the seven lamps of the candlestick, the menorah. And the middle word is Aleph Tav. That's the A and the T, or the, 
they're full, the first and the last beginning letters and the ending letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And that word is not translated. It just sits there in Hebrew. And it's a picture of the Son of God, the Word of God, who's the Aleph and the Tav, the Alpha and the Omega. And through Jesus, everything was created. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. You'll also see in all the work of God, his creative work, there's separation on every day of creation. When I speak of separation, I'm not talking about the way you dress. I'm talking about getting separated from the world, the flesh, and the devil. I'm talking about living a life clean and holy and separated unto God. He'll keep doing a creative work in you if you keep letting him separate you from the world. Day two. You're just going to have to help me back there. My clicker's not, not on. In the beginning, oh, it is on. Go back one. John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. So the word of God spoke all things into existence. The, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. God said, let us make man. Elohim, a uniplural noun. The Trinity of God created everything, but they did it all through the word. The word of God spoke everything into existence hebrews 11:3. by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of god so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible powerful next please there we go for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers all things were created through him and for him. For thou art worthy, Revelations 4.11, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. So he spoke all things into existence. There was chaos on the earth, and God brought order into the chaos says the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters and God said let there be light and there was light this is a picture of a lost soul this chaotic earth go back one if you would thank you a picture of a lost person without form and void those Hebrew words are tohu and bohu Without form means nothing, confusion, empty place, desolation, vain, wilderness. The word void is bohu. It means low, empty, ruin, waste, pain, chaotic, contradiction, and struggle. It says that the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Darkness, misery, destruction, death, ignorance, affliction. This is a picture of what it's like not to have God in your life, to be a godless individual, lost, empty, confused, full of contradiction, full of doubt, 
full of unbelief, void, without form, desperate. I remember what it was like to be living like that. Empty, needy, just needing God back in my life. What happened? The Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. And then God spoke, let there be light, and there was light. That's how someone gets saved, beloved one. All they got to do is cry out for Jesus and the Holy Ghost to come and hover over their heart and God to speak life into their life. That's how you get born again. It's the same principle as when we get confused sometimes, when we get a contradiction in our head, we get doubts in our mind. You can, you can drift away from Jesus and get feel empty inside. You may have known him for years, but all of a sudden you find yourself without form and void, darkness on the face of the deep. All you got to do is have a little talk with Jesus. He wants to speak his truth into your life again. He wants to awaken you. Just pray that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and hover over your heart. Then ask the Lord to bring his word. One of my favorite verses in the Bible here, I don't know if y'all can see that, it's so small on the screen, but Psalms 107.20 says he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. I love that. There's been many times in my life where God has sent his word to me and healed me. I can be full of unbelief. I can be full of doubt. I can be discouraged. I, I can just feel empty inside. But the Lord's faithful to send his word to me. This is the same word that created everything. The same word that created the universe, the same word that created the heavens and the earth and the fish and the fowl and the animals and the plants and the mountains and the oceans of the sea. It's the same word that spoke all that into existence. That's the same word that will come and heal your heart when you need it. If you'll just pray, Holy Spirit, come, hover over my earth, speak your word into my life, beloved, the word will come and deliver you. And from all your fear, from all your destruction, from all your unbelief, from all your self-doubt. The Word of God is powerful. It's creative. Everything was chaos, and he spoke, and it came to order. The chaos immediately changed into order by the spoken Word of, the, of God. Next slide. The tabernacle. What's it? Go back one, please. What's that got to do with the tabernacle? Well, the, the tabernacle's a picture, a type, a shadow of Jesus Christ. It's the most detailed picture type and shadow we have in the Old Testament. The Old Testament's full of picture types and shadows pointing us to Jesus. But the tabernacle, there's more chapters devoted to that in the Bible than any other picture type or shadow. See, these this was over 2 million Israelites in the wilderness had come out of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea. And here they were, apart from God. They were, they were out of Egypt, but Egypt wasn't out of them. And God was doing a redemptive work in their life. And God wanted to meet with them. He wanted to commune with them. He wanted them to have a relationship with him. So he told Moses just exactly how to build this tabernacle in the wilderness. And it's a picture of Jesus. It's not Jesus. It's a picture of Jesus, a shadow, a type of Jesus that was to come. 
And if you look in the tabernacles, there's two pieces of furniture there in the courtyard, a brazen altar and a brazen laver. And this is where the people had to bring and deal with their sin. They had to clean up the sinful problem, the sinful condition, before the priest could go in and minister in the holy place. He would go in the holy place and burn incense and light the candlestick and eat at the table of showbread. He would minister before the heart of the Lord. Once a year, he'd go into the Holy of Holies and make atonement for the people. But the courtyard is where sin got cleaned up. And this is how it is in our relationship with Jesus today. There's these foundational experiences of blood, fire, and water that clean our lives up, that we can go in and commune with God, that we can go in and have an intimate relationship with God and hear from God and hear him speak to our hearts and let it govern and direct our lives. So the tabernacle, go forward one, please. <clears throat> First Timothy 2, 5, there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. There's only one mediator between God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. He is our bridge over troubled waters. He's our ladder, our Jacob's ladder. Between us and the Father. He's the way to ascend to the Father. So anything you can learn about Jesus in the Old Testament to help your New Testament experience is a plus. There were seven pieces of furniture in that tabernacle, just like there's seven days to the creation story. Six days of work, one day of rest. The two pieces of furniture in the courtyard were the brazen altar and the brazen labor. Then in the holy place, you had the golden candlestick, the golden altar, and the table of shewbread. In the holy of holies, you had the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. That looks like one piece of furniture, but there's two pieces there. The mercy seat sits on top of the Ark, which had the law in the Ark. And see, the, the mercy's higher than the law. And the law would kill you if it weren't for the mercy seat on top of the law. Next, the brazen altar, the first piece of furniture that we find. Here, animals were slain. Blood had to be spilt, life for life. And the blood of animals couldn't take away sin, but they would cover sin. For hundreds of years, they would cover sin because Messiah was promised to come in the Bible. The promise was started right there in the book of Genesis, the, the promised seed. And Messiah was promised, but this was, he wasn't here yet, so it was a picture of his blood. These, they would kill lambs and rams and bulls and goats and pigeons, and they would shed blood at this altar. And then the fire of God would fall and consume the offering. It's a picture of the blood of Jesus and the fire of the Holy Ghost. And it was, that's the very feet of Jesus, the very foundational experience of Jesus is the brazen altar. There was sin offering blood, Exodus 29.10. You shall have the bull brought before the tabernacle of meeting, and Aaron and his son shall put their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. You shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns, of the altar with your finger and pour all the blood beside the base of the altar. You shall take the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe, the 
attached to the liver, the two kidneys, the fat that is on them, and you shall burn them on the altar with the flesh of the bull, with his skin, and it's awful. You shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. That's just one of the many offerings I just chose to read you how that worked in the Old Testament. But all that's a picture of something. That's a picture of Jesus. A picture of the, the blood of the Son of God. At Calvary, Jesus would shed his own blood. The very blood of the Word of God would be shed that we might have life, that we might have redemption. We don't have to take an animal to an altar anymore. 2,000 years ago, God fulfilled all the shadows and types. He fulfilled all the Old Covenant 2,000 years ago on a hill called Calvary. Sin offering blood. Next. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Hebrews 9.22. Romans 5.9. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Ephesians 1.7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Next. And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And in 1 Peter 1.18, knowing this, that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Jesus was the sin offering blood. Jesus fulfilled everything that happened at the brazen altar on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. Day two, God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so, and God called the firmament heaven and evening and morning were the second day. Day two, there was a firmament, and God divided the waters above from the waters below. Next. It's a picture of the labor, second piece of furniture. There's waters for his hands and waters for his feet. And the priest had to minister there at the labor. Go back one, please. The Lord said to Moses, you shall make me a laver of bronze, with its base also of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. You shall put water in it, for Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet in water from it, whereby they go into the tabernacle of meeting, or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord. They shall wash with water lest they die. So they wash their hands and their feet, lest they die. There's the part of the, the law of the priesthood and the ministry of the tabernacle. Was this is what the, was commanded of the priests, that they wash their hands and their feet before they go to the altar and burn an offering, or they wash again before they go into the holy place. It's a picture for us to keep our hands and our feet clean in the word of God, to wash ourselves in the waters of God's word. You want to stay in communion with God, keep your sins forgiven, walk in repentance, walk under a fountain of blood, 
Let the fire of the Holy Ghost continually refill your heart and your life every day. And then wash yourself in the waters of God's Word. This is how we stay clean enough to go into the holy place and minister before the Lord. Next. Ephesians 5.26 that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and without blemish and in 1 Timothy 2.8 I desire everywhere that men pray I desire therefore that men pray everywhere lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting we got to get the wrath and the doubt cleansed off our hands Sometimes you walk in church and you feel dead and you don't understand when you lift your hands to the Lord, you just feel like a hundred pound weights on the top of your hands. Well, maybe you got wrath and doubt on your hands. Maybe you need to get your hands clean in the word of God. The tabernacle. Again, look at those two pieces of furniture in the courtyard. That, that was the place where the priest ministered for on man's sake, to get rid of man's sin. Man would bring the animals, the priest would kill the animals, the fire would fall, the priest would go wash in the labor. Blood, fire, and water were the three substances there in the courtyard. Next slide. 1 John 5, 8. And there are three that bear witness on the earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood. These three agree as one. Isn't that powerful? Acts 2.38. In fact, Brother Sean preached a beautiful sermon on the baptism of the Holy Ghost a couple weeks ago. Did y'all appreciate that? Amen. Give him a hand clap for that. He did a fantastic job with that. He used this scripture in that message. He said, Peter said to them, repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see blood, fire, and water in that one verse. Repentance is where the blood shed. You're turning from sin. When you, why do you need blood? Because you're, you're, you're getting rid of your sin. You're, you're cleansing your soul from sin. You're repenting of your sin. You're turning from your sin. And you're asking Jesus to forgive you of your sin and wash it all away in his precious blood. Then in Acts 8, we see blood, fire, and water again. This is right here in the New Testament. When the apostles who were in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they were saved. They sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they had blood, they had water. But then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now they got fire. And Brother Sean preached so beautifully on the need for fire. If you're saved and washed in the blood of Jesus, beloved, you're going to heaven. I promise you, that's all you need to go to heaven, to be saved, be washed in the blood, be born again, be, be, have Jesus come to live in your heart. But he wants so much more than that out of your life. He wants to fill you with his spirit. He wants to baptize you in his love. He wants his fire to consume your life give you power, give you boldness to empower you to live the Christian life, to give you the boldness to stand up for Jesus in this dark and wicked world in which we live. Next slide. 
Acts 19. It happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, We've not so much heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. Paul said, Indeed, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that should believe on him, who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, water. And when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. The fire fell on them. God wants you to be washed in the blood, filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Brother Sean talked about how that scares people. That seems a little creepy. Well, this tongue thing. Well, it's not as creepy until you experience it and you realize, wow, that's one of the most amazing things I've ever experienced. I'll just, I can take just a minute. My experience with the baptism of the Holy Ghost was in the spring of 1988. I had this tremendous born-again experience. I just had a, had a, God just changed my life overnight. And I was in a Pentecostal church when it happened, and that all seemed strange to me since I was raised a Baptist. And they were, they were acting really funny. They were acting wild, running around and stuff. And I was just, I wasn't comfortable. But I wanted the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I heard the preacher preach on it, and I believed it to be true, and I wanted it for myself. And I'd just gotten born again. I mean, I, I had this relationship with Jesus was amazing to me. It was the most life-changing thing ever happened to me. So I started praying for the Lord, please baptize me in the Holy Ghost. And it happened to me a couple weeks later in my bed at night. This bright light came into my room. I awakened. I watched it. It moved into my face. I could feel it come into my, the crown of my head like hot oil. And it flowed all the way through my body down to the soles of my feet. I felt like I was literally off the bed for the rest of the night. I was in this, having this spiritual experience. I woke up the next morning and I had so much love in my heart. My heart was bursting with love. I've never loved like that before. I've never experienced anything like that before. You said you pray in tongues. Well, not till later that evening I came home. I really didn't know anything about tongues. And I was just praying in my prayer closet. And all of a sudden, another language started coming out of my mouth. It was one of the most exciting things ever happened to me. And that's been a long time ago, 1988. That's 25. That's 35 years ago. I'm old. <laughs> but I still pray in the Holy Ghost. I pray in tongues. I think it's important to stay full of the Holy Spirit. Stay, stay filled. Like Ch Brother Chad said, he had a minister come couple years ago we talked about leaking <laughs> how the spirit will leak out you got to refill yourself again amen yeah. all right next slide day three god said let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place and let the land appear let the dry land appear and it was so god called the dry land earth and he's gathering together the waters he called seas and god saw that it was good and god said let the earth bring forth grass and the herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind whose seed 
is in itself on the earth. And it was so, and the earth brought forth grass, and the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, so the evening and the morning were the third day. Again, God just speaking the creation, speaking the word of God, spoke it, and it was so. From the invisible into the visible, from nothing to somethings, God just speaks the word. God wants to do a creative work in your life from, from stage to stage to stage, or I could say from glory to glory to glory. And he wants to speak the word into your life and let it change you and, and do, a, like I say, a creative work. Day three is a picture of the golden altar. Had to grow the herbs to burn the incense with. And that's where the priest would minister. He'd burn the incense and minister before the Lord. I won't take time for all this. I'm just going to fly through that so you can just see the picture. That was the golden altar. That's where Aaron burnt sweet incense every morning when he tended the lamps. He'd burn incense on it. And it says, and when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generation. So Aaron would burn incense at the golden altar. And that's a picture of prayer. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. That's Philippians 4, 6. Prayer, that's the very heart of your relationship with Jesus. If you think you can have a relationship with God and omit prayer, you're, you're kidding yourself. That's the time when you get to know him. That's the time you can speak to him and he can speak to you. He'll meet you there at the golden altar at the place of prayer. Ephesians 6, 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. And in James 5, 16, confess your trespasses one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I love that. I can't emphasize enough on prayer. Brother Chad just preached a powerful lesson on prayer and fasting. I think it's awesome we got a pastor that will fast. This is a day in life when you live in a time when when people don't fast anymore. You need to pray and fast and separate yourself. What there was separation on day two. Waters above from the waters below. There was separation on day three. There was separation again on day four. God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide from the day and from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light of the earth and it was so and God made two great lights the greater light to rule the day and the lesser night light to rule the night he made the stars also God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night to divide the light from the darkness God saw that it was good, so the evening and the morning were the fourth day. This makes me question whether he was 24-hour days or not, because God didn't hang the sun, the moon, and the stars until the fourth day. There would really be no way to measure that. When they use the word day, it's a span of time. He could have done it in 24-hour days, but I'm just saying there's a possibility he did not. That's a picture of the candlestick, the lights of the sky, the illumination, the menorah, 
the seven branches of the candlestick and the light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, a picture of Jesus. Next slide. The Bible says the word is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path, Psalms 119, 105. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And in 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The candlestick of God is where you get your illumination. So important to go into the holy place and cover that in prayer and then open your Bible and hear what God has to say to you. People tell me all the time, how do I hear from God? Well, it starts right here in the Bible. He'll speak to you through his word more than any other way. In the simplest of ways, he'll speak to you through the word. And I'm not talking just opening a page and pointing your finger to verse. He may speak to you that way. I'm not going to say he can't. But I'm talking about getting on your knees and opening the word and start reading and start meditating and start studying and start memorizing. and Let the word of God change your life. This is the... The word of God is what created all things into existence. He spoke it, and it was so. The Bible said he, he sent his word, and it healed them and delivered them of all their destructions. God's word will heal you. Next slide. And day five, and I'm out of time. So God created the, the fishes of the sea and the fowls of the air. Next slide. The table of shoebreds, the meat of the word of God. Next slide. It's not enough just to hear the word of God. You got to do the word of God. It's not enough to get the illumination of the candlestick, but God does that in order so he can he can put this word inside of you. He wants to give you the strength of the word of God that you can do it. Not just the theory, but the experience. Not not just the knowledge, understanding and wisdom, but the experiential knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. But he wants me, me to be a part of the word. So the table of shewbread, the priest would eat the bread and it would become a part of him. And it's a picture of God giving you the strength to do the word of God. James 1. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. When he observes himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. And then in Philippians 2, it's God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. How many know it's God gives you the strength to make you willing and God gives you the strength in order to do the word of God and to be obedient to the word of God. Next slide. And I'm not going to, that's God creating the animals and God creating man on day six. Next slide is a picture of the Ark of the Covenant, which is the authority. He gave man the authority, the dominion over the earth and over the animals and over the plants. Next slide. And Jesus has all the authority. He is the head. Ephesians 1.22, he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 
He's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. And then in Colossians 2.10, you're complete in him who's the head of all principality and power. How many know Jesus is the head of the church? Amen. It's a, Jesus is your, your head. I'm out of time. Day 7. The heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. And that's a picture of the mercy seat. The next slide's the mercy seat. That's the seat that sits on the ark with the two cherubs above it, the golden cherubs. Picture of rest. Next, next slide. There remains, therefore, rest for the people of God. Who, for, God for he who has entered into his rest has also ceased from his work as God did from him, his. How many know that you can spend your whole life trying to redeem yourself? And you try, you do this work, and you do this work, and you do one of these, and seven of these, and three of these, and you're always trying to redeem yourself. And then one day you wake up and realize, wow, Jesus did it all. It's not what I do, it's what he's already done that's important. And then you enter into this rest. The, the amazing thing about the seven pieces of furniture and the seven days of creation is there's a rest at the end of this for the people of God. There's a peace that passeth all understanding, but, but even more than that, there's a rest where you don't try to redeem yourself anymore. You, know, you don't try to do anything anymore. You just rest in what Jesus has done and let him do it all through you. And now you'll get twice as much work as you work for the Lord done as you used to before you experience rest. Matthew 11 says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. The most amazing thing about the creation story is that on the seventh day, God rested. And he said, my work is very good. It was very good. All the creative work was done, and then there was rest. And there's an end to our journey. And beloved one, when we cross over Jordan, we're going to find a rest to our souls. And I encourage you all to seek that rest, that play, that resting place in God to where you cease from your creative, redemptive works and just entered into the rest of God.